Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Leadership Window podcast. This is going to be a much better episode than last week's. Last week, you just got me. Today, you get someone far more interesting than I am. And it's actually the one that we were looking for last week. I think I told you if you listened to last week's episode, both of us had a couple of little technical difficulties and we're both adaptive enough to say, hey, let's when we do this, let's do it super right. And so we said, let's just, we'll punt the ball and um, try to do this again next week. So I want to thank Nikkei Anani for um, for uh, being flexible and uh, getting it right and take, carving out yet another time with me. Nikkei Anani is an international award-winning entrepreneur, succession specialist, legacy planning expert, and she focuses on future-focused business families. Now, don't go away. If you're not a business or you're not a family business, stay right where you are because the things we're going to be talking about will will relate to you if you're in an organization. Many of our listeners, of course, are leaders of nonprofit organizations or you're on boards of nonprofits or you're in a funding organization. And much of the things that we talk about today are, are of great interest to you because we're talking about succession planning. We're talking about legacy leaders. We're talking about um, multi-generational leadership and how to move into the next generation when it comes to leadership. And, you know, among many things, Nikkei, that, um, that I hear from the organizations that I work with, succession planning is always at the top of the list of concerns for board members and staff alike. And in the nonprofit sector, you know, so many of the uh, leaders are aging out and there's a, there's a concern about the pipeline and succession and these kinds of things. And I know that what you do is a little bit different. Um, I, I want uh, people to know about your upcoming book. Let me go ahead and talk about that very quickly. It's, I can't wait for this one. It's due out in, uh, in quarter two of this year, lifetime to legacy, a new vision for multi-generational family businesses. And uh, she's the Nikkei, uh, by the way, is the co-founder of African Family Firms. And that's a Pan-African Association of Family Businesses that's focused on promoting generational wealth and generational legacies on the African continent. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that, too. She's the host of the Connected Generation podcast, which is a top 10 family business podcast globally that's dedicated to next gens that are trying to figure out how to navigate building generational enterprises while leaving an impact in the now. So global outlook, I love it. Um, Nigeria, London, Austin, Texas, who knows where she's <laughs> going next. But Nikkei, welcome to the show. Thanks for carving out time and, and making this work. Sorry about the difficulties last time. Oh, thank you, Patrick. This will this time will be epic. Oh, <laughs> there sure. you go. Oh, I love I'm it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be epic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, what did I miss? I want you to reintroduce yourself for our listeners and, and say the things you think are most important, because it's easy to sort of read a bio and say, this is the mm. resume. And 
I, I certainly hit on the highlights. I want listeners to know, you know, who we're, who we're listening to in terms of the credibility of the topic, but just say more about yourself and how you got to this place in your journey and what it is you do and give, give us the what, give us the what, what. Yes, I'd love, love, love to. I am a legacy planning consultant. So I work with business owners, family business owners to help them transition their enterprises from lifetime to legacy. Essentially, what would outlift them? And it's become this passion and obsession of mine based on my inside, my life journey. So I was born into a business family. My father founded our family enterprise the year I was born. Um, So entrepreneurship has been in my life, my whole life. And this was in Lagos, Nigeria. So I grew up in Nigeria, which is where I'm from. And at the age of nine, moved to the UK uh, with my brothers and my mum. So was schooled in the UK, started my career in corporate, in corporate tax international, um, trade up as a chartered accountant. But I honestly found it very dull and wasn't really inspired. And that led me on a journey. I remember having a phone call with my dad and saying, I think I want to come to Nigeria just for a few months to learn more about the family enterprise. And the plan was three months. I ended up spending 10 years (laughs) (laughs) and I fell in love with entrepreneurship. And I guess what was missing in the city of London was entrepreneurship. I felt like I was closer to the action. I felt like there were so many opportunities on the ground in Lagos, but I also felt like it was really meaningful. Like there was an opportunity to make tremendous impact on the lives of others and communities, whilst also working towards building generational financial security for my family. But in trying to navigate building generational wealth and generational businesses, there wasn't much um, resources on the ground in Lagos. And that really led me to self-teach. I started reading lots on generational businesses, generational wealth, particularly from the US, because the US is the thought leader in this space for family business expertise. And then having to custom it to for our purpose, being uh, an African family operating on the African continent. And... So that led me to start the succession planning for my family and the governance for my family. And then realized that there were so many families like mine that really wanted to build generational businesses, but were not, um, there were no resources out there for them. So I started working with other successors in the area like myself on leadership, on working with siblings and also starting family offices. Along the journey, um, like you said in the intro, um, I co-founded African Family Firms, which is a membership organization with a a dear friend of mine, because it was really apparent that um, it wasn't sufficient to work with families privately. Not every family was ready to work with a private consultant, but most were ready to get into community with each other. And that was really the ethos behind African Family Firms, was a platform of sharing with other families, a platform of educating, um, creating awareness on issues like governance, succession and leadership and philanthropy, family office and things of the the like, Um, a platform to do research with partner organizations and also for advocacy. And yeah, so that's, that's really my, my, it seems like my life kind of coalesced and made so much sense, like in the last five years, when I realized that legacy was my obsession legacy in terms of over time. So 
building things that outlive the originators became this thing that was really entrenched in my mind, particularly when I became a mum. And also building things that made an impact over space. So um, reverberate such that we really make a difference in the world through the things that we're doing became really um, my my passion, I guess. And that's what's led me to what I'm doing today. Wow. And now in working with businesses, do you work with also nonprofits or foundations or is it is it strictly business where you spend your bandwidth? So I work with families. So interestingly, lots of families have businesses or family offices, but philanthropy is huge mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And how they choose to do their philanthropy also is um, something that I partner. Like I said, I've got a partner in African family firms and her specialty is philanthropy. So, but I'm more on the, on the relational side. So what is it that we want to do as a family? Where is it that we're heading towards as a family? How do we seek to leave a legacy and live our legacies? And oftentimes it is, we want to make a difference in the world. What does that look like? Is that philanthropy? Is that impact investing, you know, and what have you? So, so yeah. Can you give us an example of some of the kinds of businesses that you work with, family businesses? With are these small manufacturing firms? Are they solopreneurships that you know go from you know just down the line of generation? What what kinds of businesses do you find yourself working with? So uh, to say mid size or large size, it depends on the jurisdiction. So paint a picture. A typical client is like a construction family business mm. or a manufacturing family business that employs like. 2000 members of staff Mm. Um, the founder founded it maybe 30 years ago and the next generation has been working in the business for like five years six years and the founders you know is approaching your traditional retirement age but it's not really letting go Mm. and the next gen's feeling quite frustrated in wanting to grab on i'm next in line but mum or dad is still kind of hovering and just like you know just won't move on. <laughs> they keep saying next year, one more year, one more year, <laughs> mm. I will retire. Um, but it seems like they're holding on even tighter. Um, and, you know, what is it that, how is it that we're going to take this business into the future? And how is it that I, as successor, will lead this business into the future? So do you find that when they want to hold on, it's because they love it so much, they just, they can't, they're not, they can't bring themselves to leave it, or they're not at a place yet of trusting the next generation with it? Both, both. So on one hand, the business is literally their baby. And, you know, we often use that analogy, right? Like the business is a baby, but like there've been psychological studies that show that the same neural pathways in your brain that light up when a parent thinks of their child or hears their baby crying, it's the same neural pathways that lights up when a business owner thinks of their business. Mm. So there's this deep, immense like attachment from all the sacrifice. It's all way the time. more than just a job. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> like you've you've been through thick and thin for this baby. Like yeah. you've probably seen some difficult days where you've cried through the night and mm. you're not sure where the next check is gonna come from. And um, you've also seen some great times, right? Which you're not really sure. Or, and you know that no one else can love this baby the same way you do because mm. they haven't been through the hard times right. with you. Right. And, and then on the other hand, it's also like 
does this next generation have the capacity to lead this business? Wow. So I think it's twofold. So my mind is running with all kind of curious questions. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go too far down this because I want to get into some of the, some of the things that I hoped to pick your brain about and we will, but ju- I'm curious now about a couple of these family dynamics. First of all, I- I'm guessing I'm going out on a limb here and saying that family businesses it seems to me like those could be the hardest kind of businesses to work with. Just, be, you know, again, thinking generation and family dynamics are crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you have a whole different decorum and, and culture and comfort level with each other for conflict and you have dysfunction and you have sibling rivalry and you have dads running this the wrong way. I mean, am I, am I, is my, uh, estimate of that about right? I'm thinking family businesses have to be incredibly difficult to work with. 100%. Um, (laughs) but I love, I love them nonetheless. I mean, think about it, like family's nonlinear family is, um, emotion in our families. We expect acceptance, unconditional love, security, equal treatment. Mm. Right. Um, But in business, it's not like that. Business is more cutthroat. Business is oriented, it's like performance driven, like profit oriented, productivity. Mm. We don't want to treat each employee equally. We want to treat the best, you know, and um, reward the best. Mm. So when you have this confluence of very two different institutions, it, it, it can create drama. Like you said, you're more comfortable with your family members. Like you, you fight, you've got, you may have sibling rivalry. You may have long-standing suppressed issues, and often it's easier for Nika to fight with Patrick, assuming you're my family member. Um, it's easier for us to fight over, you know, um, I disagree with the business decision you made, than for for me to say, you know what, you you're never there. Yeah, and I feel abandoned by you. And so quite often the business issues are used as a proxy for deeper, deep rooted family issues. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let me turn to a little bit to succession and thinking about succession. And you can tell me where it's unique in the family business and where it's the same succession is succession. But I'm wondering um, what would you say in general to organizations who are thinking about succession, what are like the top three or four things you really need to be thinking about? I know in the nonprofit sector, for example, boards are like, oh my gosh, you know, who are we going to find when Susie leaves? Susie is just amazing. Or John is just incredible. And what are we going to do when they leave and when they retire? And boy, I hope they stay forever. Um, And that's kind of their biggest concern. They're not thinking about culture. They're not thinking about, um, you know, sometimes they're not even thinking about specific competencies to get to the next level. But what to you are the three or four or five most important things to think about and get right when thinking about the next leader of the organization, whether it's a family business or any other? Mm, Great, great question. So succession in a family enterprise, you have succession in terms of ownership and in terms of leadership but in your typical nonprofits or corporates it's usually leadership that we're thinking about right mm-hmm. so that's that's where the added complication we've got in family enterprises and things succession planning 
think culture, 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 because mm. organizations at their hearts, people are really necessary in, in developing and propelling organizations into the future. And, you know, you were talking about pipeline. That's typically how people dimension this conversation on succession. Really, it's about do we have a strong enough culture to attract strong people and retain strong people because people are absolutely necessary and not just people at the top um, so not just the board level the executive level but throughout the organization so folks can rise through the organization not a situation where we have attrition along the way or invisible ceilings along the way right um, also cultures that are truly inclusive and able to bring about diversity of thought really important in our really disruptive business world that we see ourselves in even and this is even applicable in the nonprofit world we have so many more social problems than ever before don't mean we have wealth inequities we've got climate change we've got so many social issues that um nonprofits are dealing with um and in an environment where it's more difficult to get funding as well so we do diversity of thought and the best quantity and quality of solutions is still very important in this space a second thing i would say is long-term thinking i think um, this is something that families are really good at um, families typically think in generations um, non-family firms typically think in quarters governments typically think in election cycles so when we're thinking long term where do we see this organization in 15 20 30 40 years what's the future strategy i mean no one has full clarity as to the future no one no one is god but um we should be able to anticipate the evolution of our industries of upcoming emerging trends and as such what strategy are we likely to employ and as such, what roles will we need in the future? It might not be the same as what we're seeing right now. And how can we start to cultivate that pipeline to get that? So it, and, is it, if, I, if I'm on a board of directors and I am thinking about succession planning, or let's say, you know, my CEO just announced their retirement and they're, they're giving me six months to a year to, to, mm -hmm. to figure it out. I think what I hear you saying is, more important than what the skill sets of the next leader will be is we have to make sure we find someone that can lead in this culture. In other words, someone who can, can, if it's a good culture, someone who can continue it and operate within it and not rock the culture boat. And if it's a bad culture, someone who can come in and is a good culture shaper, like before the technicals Indeed. of the business or anything like that, I hear you saying, well, you said culture, culture, culture. So is that the first thing I need to be thinking about is someone who can, someone who will fit in to a, a desired culture? Yeah. Someone that will fit into a desired culture or be a catalyst to create said culture. Okay. Um, that obviously as an executive, a CEO, you report to the board and you're sandwiched in between management and the board, but someone that's able to champion change where necessary um, to um, shape culture in the direction it needs to be. 
especially we're seeing so many you know there's a lot of shaking going on in our world um i think that's that's a really important trait to have and this is something that even family enterprises need to think about as well yeah i've experienced the the mm, maybe culture shock is the right word or maybe maybe i wasn't shocked by the culture but i wasn't fully prepared for it i didn't realize that i was maybe not fitting in fully to the culture. So I have been the leader, you know, for, for 10 years that led at a time of great uh, growth and success of a nonprofit. And, you know, the board had to replace me and I, I filled a, I filled a lot of roles. I was highly competent in my role, did a mm-hmm. lot of different things, had a diverse set of skills that they sort of had to think about and replace. And it was challenging. And the, Mm. the, the, uh, you know, the successor had a challenge. I have also been that person that follows that leader. In fact, I've been the person that follows a 30 year iconic, you know, legacy person in a nonprofit in a community where I wasn't from Mm. and a very Mm. different community from, from many that I've lived in. And it's a challenge. It's a, it's Mm. a, it is a huge challenge. Do you uh, do you coach or counsel the next leader in how to follow an icon, how to follow a legacy, you know, a founder or that family member who is the, you know, the rock of the family or whatever? How do you, what are the sort of tips and things for the next leader in line? What are the things that they can keep in mind to mitigate the difficulties and the, the failures that happen when you're following such an iconic legend or legacy or longtime leader? Mm, that's a fantastic question. Um, I often tell them it's stepping out of the shadow of this iconic personality, right? Mm. The added benefit we have in family firms actually has just become apparent to me as you're talking was that typically this icon um, in absence of the ascension of the next generation was as a result of death or incapacitation. Mm. But where it's due to like your retirement, what we usually have is they're still hovering. They're still, they're still playing a role, right? So they but is that from, good or bad? I mean, you say it's a, um, it's a, it's a benefit, but the, the hovering, I mean, does that ever let the person step out of the shadow? So hovering was a negative okay. word, but I, I often say, you know, when done well, so succession um, in a family firm, on one side, the the incumbent needs to be coached on their exit plan to transition from boss to mentor. And the successor needs to be coached to transition from being in the shadow to stepping out of the shadow. Mm-hmm. So that role as mentors, as an elder, so to speak, with all the custodian of institutional memory, with, you know, just um, advice is really helpful. But in terms of folks that are stepping into the into legacy is de- learning how to lead through persuasion not necessarily um through position um, because i'm often dealing with folks that are um, young leaders that are then leading people that are much older than them and are dealing with inherited teams teams that they didn't constitute themselves right um the founder was the one that picked everyone in the business and then they're having to influence and persuade um use 
through their leadership style that may differ from the incumbent um, and folks are resisting change. So really key to study those that you're leading and understand, have deep empathy. So develop like an empathy map Mm. for what is it that drives Patrick? Like, what is he seeing, thinking, feeling? And how then can I tailor the way I communicate with him in such a way that would be more influential? If Mm. that makes sense. It does. You know what I love about it is if the successor... And, and particularly in, I'm, I'm imagining that in your case, working with businesses, the successor is kind of named well. I mean, the successor is known, right? Normally, or is there sometimes, all- sometimes it's like succession, literally HBO. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's not known. Sometimes they're all kind of in the business and there, but most times it's known. Okay. Well, when it's known, or even if, even if, um, you think you might be you're you you have you, it's possible that you're that person to think about that before you're there you know like what you're saying you know think about the people and and the empathy thing i think if if more leaders envisioned what that challenge will be like when they get to the ceo spot and start navigating that relationship nuance now that that should be very helpful because when you've when you've been in the trenches with people and now suddenly you're the you're their leader you were their mm-hmm. peer and now you're their you know their superior if you're th- talking hierarchy uh there can be a lot of resentment that comes with that there can be mm-hmm. a lot of ego that comes with that for the leader so i love what you're talking about thinking about those things but thinking about them well before you are in the role I'd have to totally, totally agree um, because it's, it also takes practice to develop this empathy-based thinking. Sure um, does. Right? <laughs> it not, sure does. It, it doesn't come naturally. Yeah. It really takes observation, listening, asking questions such that you understand different stakeholder groups, the, the lens through which they see things and how they will perceive things. So good. Another, another tip that I would say is, a lot of the time we've been driven to be quite tactical and not um, be purposeful enough. And when you're stepping into, you know, a change in position and folks are grumbling, this is not the way we did things. We need to kind of create a rallying point and a reminder for to coalesce. Why is it that we're doing this? Why might we have a change in direction or a change in style or a change in so it's really important, like Simon Sinek. Um, yeah. And how why. might that change be good for you? Indeed. Like what's in it? What's in it for everybody? If we do what's this? in it for the organization mm-hmm. and then what's in it for Patrick, what's in it for Nick what's in it for the HR department mm. and be able to articulate that in a language that each person understands. I think that is leadership. Mm. Um, it's really the soft stuff, which is not soft at all. Yeah. And it's really hard. <laughs> yeah taking that role so i i have a um i have a both an, a course a cohort-based online course and an assessment that is designed for c-suite nonprofit leaders who aspire to a ceo role either in their current mm-hmm. organization or in some other and what we do is we asset we do a 360 assessment where we assess their ceo skills 
even though they're not a CEO. We have people say, you know, how do they how do they engage with the board? How do they engage staff? How do they think strategically? What's their emotional intelligence like? You know, uh, what's their business competency and their knowledge of the different functions? And what it does is it helps people see what it feels like in that chair before they sit in that chair. Mm. And many of them realize at that point, mm, this might not be for me. Like, maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to be a CEO. There's a lot more to it than I thought. So we think a lot about preparing the successor. Here's a question for you. I can't wait to get your feedback on this one. What is your advice or what are your tenets or tips for leaders leaving it to someone else to ensure that when they leave, things don't fall apart? You know, we've uh, family or not. So for example, you know, Mm. I've always believed that in leadership, if you if you're leading an organization that falls apart after you leave, it's not always the fault of the next leader. It could Indeed. be your, it could be your fault. So what are the what are the tips or or uh, techniques or observations? What's your insight on leaders making sure that they're setting the organization up for continuity and success and growth when they walk out the door? This is so spot on and apt. So a friend of mine, Marie Mikkel, she says a lot of the time we talk about preparing the successor for the leadership role and not enough about preparing the business Mm. for the successor. And I think that's what you're kind of alluding to is we don't want this rock star CEO um, that creates key man or key woman risk and um, has a lot of the institutional memory in their heads and in their hearts. And when they leave, folks are kind of lost. Like, where do we start? So we want to create an institution. We want to really create systems, processes, procedures, move from a journey of informal to formal. And obviously not everything can be formalized. Not everything can be documented. But with family businesses particularly, this is an area that is tends to be an issue is there's a lot of informality and the founder drives decision-making to the point where he, he or she would only outsource tasks to be done without explaining the reason for, or how did we arrive at said decision, right? Mm. So it's surrounded by helpers and not co-builders. So we need to be able to build an institution um, where we document the strategy, we document the processes, we document the procedures, we have SOPs, we have departments, we have measuring, um, such that when someone else steps into the shoes of the leader, they have clarity as to how we got here and how we can move forward. Mm. Oh, really good. Let's talk about the word legacy for a minute. Um. I'm, I'm sitting here. The question is popping in my head is how does one leave a legacy? <laughs> right. But that's a big, mm, that's a big question. A I big guess question. <laughs> what, what I mean by it though, is let me rephrase it. What makes a legacy leader in your mind? Like what, is it just the fact that they're the, you know, family patriarch or is it like, what is it that makes, um, the biggest mark long-term a legacy of leadership? What are those principles in your experience? Service. 
And so being able to think outside of oneself, whether it's over space or whether it's over time. Um, So like I kind of said, um, I think there's an obsession with leaving your legacy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she she died at the age of 92 and her legacy was one of A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. And there's that element to it. Um, but there's also living today, your legacy. And I think a lot of the time it's centered around the founder was this hero and did ABC built this business and um, employed this, these many people. Um, but I think it's beyond that. I think it's um, it's more dynamic than that. I think it's um, a family story as well. Like it wasn't just about the founder one. Usually there were other people in the journey that contributed to what we see as this legacy, the family, the employees, stakeholders. Uh, so I think it's more of a collective story of folks making an imprint on the world. Mm. man i mean you had me at service <laughs> like that that's <laughs> that summed it up and it, it really is and that's a legacy and it's true you can't you can't just say this is what my legacy is <laughs> you can't declare your legacy you have to live it and yet it's 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 when other people determine what your legacy is you know that you've really landed on it and you've really done it um let me get really practical and i don't mean to be redundant either but i'm thinking of this now through three lenses and i mm-hmm. i want to i want to focus on if if you can if you can view through the lens of of a nonprofit organization be it a foundation so mm-hmm. I go, you know there's a lot of family foundations for example or just a just a nonprofit in a community a community based nonprofit that sometimes feels like a family because it is mm-hmm. in a tight knit community and there's the politics around it and all of that um but in thinking about succession I'm thinking about three lenses now the board what's their what are what are the two or three things they need to most keep in mind when thinking about planning and executing succession. The second lens is the levy, the leader that's leaving. Mm-hmm. And the third is the leader that's coming in. If, if, you know, yeah, the, th- the third is the leader that's coming in. Um, if you look through those three lenses, how would you consult each with one or mm-hmm. two of the sort of top tenants? Like, you know, if, if I'm consulting a board, I'm going to tell them the following two or three things that they need to keep in mind. If I'm consulting the, so let's just break it down into those three lenses. Mm -hmm. How would you, what are the things, what are the top things that come to mind for you? So for the board, it's that pipeline, right? As we always are obsessed about. Um, So where are we heading to in the future? What roles do we need? Do we have those roles right now on the ground? If we don't, um, what kind of people do we want to have? Can I stop um, you right there? Cause I'm sorry, you lit me up with that. I want, I want our listeners to, to get that. The first thing you said was where's our organization going in the future. Yeah. That I just have to pause there because that's powerful. You, you did not start with, well, what are the skill sets of our current CEO and what's going to be walking out or well, you know, who's a leader that knows the community well and can navigate the politics. No, you started with the future relevance of the organization. 
yeah. at number one. And I had to, I just had to interject and say how powerful I think that is. So <laughs> I'm sorry you. to interrupt I you, think, but I love it. No, no, no. I think because a lot of the time we're so focused on assuming that the here and now will prevail. Mm. Yeah. We have to fix our eyes on the future if we want to survive into the future or and plan for the future. Oh, that's so good. Because the other, the other thing that happens is not only do I think the here and now will prevail, but I'm solving for the here and now. Like, I, you know, my leader left. Yeah, my leader left and I need someone because we got a lot of stuff going on right now in this organization. I need someone to say grace over and handle with competencies. I, reactive, I, I love proactive. I love it. We have Nika. to be proactive. Yeah. So in thinking about the future, what kind of roles do we need? How can we attract and retain said people and create a situation where we don't create mini rock stars, um, but have succession. So mm. um, alternates for um, each role where we don't create a Patrick that, you know, is the only one that understands the finance department. And so when he leaves, everything falls apart. Mm hmm. The second is looking at the existing structure um, and each key role that's vital to the running of the organization. Doing an audit and evaluating who's the next best person to take over Nikkei's role. I love it. What is do he we or have? she equipped? So doing an assessment of, for instance, if it's, um, I don't know, Tina is my assistant, but Tina... Um, does not have the experience, does not have the expertise to step in if I was hit by a bus. Or maybe even the desire. Or the desire. She she looks like she's about to, she's applying for other jobs, <laughs> right? <laughs> she She's part of the great resignation. Um, and yeah, so, so in that instance, what can we do to ensure that Tina is trained up to close the gap between Nika and Tina and or how can we ensure that we are recruiting to fill um, this pipeline, right? So we really want to have at least an alternative mm. for each key role such that if life happens, right, people move, people, um, you know, will retire, um, unfortunate things happen. Really, we need to plan for succession. That's what I would say for the board is do this order of the here and now, identify the gaps and make steps practical steps to close those gaps the the exiting leader what i would say to the exiting leader is um to really document and create a almost like a register of everything you've been doing and ensure that that information isn't stuck in your head and where where I see this all the time in family businesses. Someone left the organization a year ago um, and we're still calling that person. Remember that contract we did for this client? Where's the contracts? Or do you remember the key person? We've lost their number. Do you? We need to, we need, we need to create really documentation and institution institutionalize. And ideally, we want to also create an exit plan for this person in a family business context, right? Because we don't want this person to be hovering. <laughs> um, we want them to have clarity of their next phase of life, where they're ascending towards, and the role they will play with respect to their old phase of life, if they will play a role at all. With you know, the that, that makes me think about 
<laughs> Oddly enough, Nika, that makes me think about living wills and life insurance and, and, you know, getting your house in order. We never, oh, think, yeah. we never think it's going to happen or we know it's going to happen, but it's something way down the road. So we'll get to it. You know, we got time one of these days, you know, we got to get our things in order and we got to plan for, you know, when we leave this earth, doesn't that happen in business too, right? Where we, we know that we won't always be the CEO, but we don't really think it's right on the horizon right now. So we're, we got time to build standard operating procedures and transfer institutional knowledge and help connect people to the relationships that matter. And we've got time to do that. That's there right now. There's other priorities than for me to be Indeed. thinking about that. Cause we're firefighting these times, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're working in the business, not on the business, mm. but we mm. really need to work on the business, create a cadence. Like I, a really good friend of mine, he, he's managed to do this in a really phenomenal way so he says in the mornings because that's the time that his brain is the most efficient he works on his business so mm. he does all the kind of documentation knowledge sharing deepening of capacity of his team um you know taking the 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 people that report to him more through the ropes coaching and guiding and then in the afternoons where he's able to churn stuff out like um, like routinely he works in the business. So that's, that's not something that folks might want to think about when yeah. are you, cause working on the business for me, I know I have to be in a certain zone and a frame of mind and I work best on, um, in the evenings. So, and this work often is solo work for me. Um, so, you know, it's learning when you work best when you're energized, when you're in that creative zone to, to focus and work on the business and when you're able to work in your business, but creating that time in your calendar, creating that time in your mind, creating that time in your heart, um, because you, you can show up and have time in your calendar, but you're just like mentally exhausted and emotionally not that, mm. right? Yeah, <laughs> boy. No doubt about it. Nika, I'm going to pause for just a minute and I want listeners to uh, hear from our sponsor really quickly. Our sponsor is Leadership Systems Incorporated, which is where I got my uh, coaching certificate or certification and where I do some adjunct work. And th so one of the things that LSI does, among other things, pr probably their marquee product is teaching other people how to coach, whether as a profession or in their business as a leader to apply a coaching model. And so they train coaches, just like they trained me and many, many, many countless others. And uh, the training that they provide is just world class. And because they partner with us and with the Leadership Window podcast, they've offered some special discounts on some of their training for listeners of this podcast. And Michael Wallace is um, is uh, one of the coaches there and the sort of the lead developer of curriculum and things like that. And I just want you to hear a little bit from Michael Wallace about that partnership. Hey, this is Michael Wallace with Leadership Systems Incorporated. And on behalf of LSI, I wanna say thanks for supporting our friend Patrick Jinks and the Leadership Window Podcast. We've been partnering with Patrick for many years and we are so proud to have him represent us as an LSI certified executive coach. As a mutual friend, we'd like to offer you exclusive rates on some of the same training that Patrick has received over the years, as well as some new experiences that we've been developing. Head over to leadershipsystems.com slash jinx to see the upcoming training events on our calendar and register today to keep learning and growing. Again, that's leadershipsystems.com slash jinx, J-I-N-K-S, 
for exclusive pricing on LSI's virtual and in-person training events. Thanks a lot. Uh, if you have leaders who want to be trained in coaching or you yourself want to be trained in coaching, I do hope you'll check that out. It's great offerings by leadership systems, and they've got a number of different uh, links and intensities. If you just want an introduction and you know spend a, a few hours or half a day on getting a coaching model, if you want to take a couple of days and dig a little bit deeper, if you want to go down the path of certification, there's a much longer process, but I hope you'll, you'll check it out. Um, Nikkei, we were talking about... <clears throat> The three lenses uh, that I, at least the three that I was thinking of were for a nonprofit, the lens of the board of directors in succession and their role and what they should be thinking about the lens of the exiting leader. And that's where we were. You had uh, certainly you had talked about how to so let's start thinking about transferring institutional knowledge, developing others. Was there anything else on the exiting leader before we move to the third lens, which is the the incoming leader? Yeah, I'm done with the exiting. So it's just the incoming at this point. And I think like what you said that you place in like potential CEOs, future CEOs and have them do like an assessment. I think that's a fantastic idea, like a an audit of where are you now and to get to where you want to go, what are the areas you need to work on, um, whether you're working on these alone or whether you're working on this by with a guide i think a personality test like a gallup strengths finder mm. or you know to gain more insight into what drives you um how best do you work um and also gaining an understanding of what drives others around you that you could potentially be leading in the future like i said empathy mapping folks around you um starting to practice how to influence these guys um with the language that they will understand and with a tone, an empathetic tone that would be really, that would resonate with them. I think that's really important to start to practice that from now. Mm. Excellent. Um, I am, uh, oh boy, I'm, I'm, there's so many different directions. We, we, we probably would need like a, a three part episode for this. Um, <laughs> let, let me ask you to give us an example of a business that did this really well. They, they made a trend, they made a succession really well. Tell us maybe a story, like what did they do super well that let their business not only continue, but to actually grow. And then maybe an example of, um, of someone who just you know, really, really missed a big mark. And, and this was the thing that tripped them up. Mm -hmm. So I worked with a family business back in Lagos and founded by father uh, in the construction field. And he had his three children working alongside him in the business. Now, he was very good at um, doing everything we spoke about, like in terms of creating an institution, coaching and guiding um, the children, because he decided that one, so he was very clear from inception who the incumbent would be, who the successor would be rather. Um, and the roles that the other two children would play in the business. So they would all be executive directors, but one would be the CEO and they would, one would head HR, the other would head engineering, um, and the third would be the CEO. So he was very good in coaching and guiding each of them and showing them th through the ropes as to making how he arrived at strategic decision-making such that they 
were not just they just didn't feel like they were in the room when decisions were made but they understood the backstage story which helped with developing their confidence and competence in making similar decisions and they also invested time and energy in creating um, a working siblings partnership because they understood that together they would be leading this business into the future if essentially three executives um, as family members. So what's their shared vision? What's their shared mission? Um, and, and what have you, uh, what are their shared values? And what's, how will they move this enterprise into the future? They also um, did, um, you know, were very aware of their leadership gaps. So whilst dad was still in the seat, um, went for leadership trainings. Um, the HR person went for additional certifications and things like that. So, so that was a case that was done well. So unfortunately, dad is, has, is late now. But for five years before he passed away, he actually was no longer in the business. He wasn't even hovering. He was had moved, transitioned from CEO to just an advisor. And they would... Um, he was quite elderly, so they would visit him at home and brief him on the business, like on a weekly basis, and he didn't interfere. So that was a very successful transition that I've seen. Um, what resonates the most with me about that story is the part where the leader teaches the approach to strategic thinking. It's a talent and a gift to be able to think strategically. It's a whole different set of skills to teach somebody how to think strategically. And here's my approach to this. And here's, here's the approach. Here's the things you need to think about as you're making the decisions, not here's the decisions you need to make. I really, mm -hmm. that, that one, that one really resonates with me. And for the, for the, I don't mean to like pick on a business that failed, but I, I would love to hear make like, what, what are some of the pitfalls you've seen that the traps mm -hmm. or the pitfalls that you've seen organizations fall into that our listeners can listen to and go, Oh, uh, good point. I should probably think about avoiding that. No strategic planning. Mm. So just taking each day as it comes and creating this key man risk where the founder is only one that knows everything and um, is surrounded by just helpers and task doers. And I've seen several cases where unfortunately the founder passes away um, unexpectedly, like suddenly has a terminal illness and the business isn't able to survive it because even the non-family staff really just, they didn't understand how the decisions were made. They were never coached and guided. Um, and uh, there was no family members in both these instances I've seen, no family members involved in the business, which adds a, another dimension of risk um, in the sense that even from an estate planning perspective, they don't really understand or know what they own. Mm. <laughs> right. Um, so I think this idea of strategic planning is important of institutionalizing is really important getting folks to know key people um, coaching and guiding the the uprising generation of leaders is really important and like we said guiding folks through how did we arrive at strategic decisions is 
is it's hard work to do that um, because it's it's just easier because there's always everything needs is urgent in a business scenario. We want to just make decisions quickly, and it's just easier to be like Patrick, do this, and you know, Nika, do that, and mm. rather than the reason why we're going down this line is A, B, C. These are the facts and considerations we've taken into into mind, and what that actually does also is it distills a lot of emotional decision making, often folks would go by intuition and really it's not um, data-driven. Um, it's just a hunch as opposed to it's not been scrutinized, it's not been stress-tested. We haven't had and invited enough perspectives in, is this the right decision? Mm. Um, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, Nikkei, I have p- potential clients on the phone with me and when I ask them when they're, you know, what are they operating on a current strategic plan or when's the last time they did strategic planning? I can't tell you how many of them say, I don't know that we've ever had one. Mm. And I'm like, well, you're really lucky to be alive as an organization right now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that's probably not sustainable. And any, any number of things can spell the end of your organization if you don't have some kind of strategic plan. You know, imagine, imagine that you leave for whatever reason and the board does have to hire a new CEO and the new CEO during the interview says, where's this organization headed? What's your strategy? What's this board's dream? You know, what are you looking for? And they go, "Mm, we don't really have a plan. We're kind of looking for someone that can help us do that. Uh, I mean, it's just, you're really walking on thin ice without a plan. And uh, so I can see how that would be a pitfall. Um, the theme I'm hearing, Nikkei, and this is interesting. It's a pretty consistent theme from you is it's all, it's really all about the bigger picture and the future. The lo- it's about Indeed. the long term and the bigger picture. That's what I keep hearing. I, I, you know, you've touched on competencies and, you know, sharing knowledge and where are the files, you know, but it really <laughs> is about it. I'm really hearing you hit hard on the idea that strategic level thinking big picture thinking and long-term thinking are really the keys in successful succession. Am I hearing it right? Indeed. 100%. Wow. This is super helpful. Um, I'm going to wind this down with a couple of questions that I ask all my guests. So if you've heard any of our episodes, you anticipate these questions. The first one is I always love to hear about one or two leaders in your life who have impacted you the most kind of, you know, uh, the, the, the greatest impact on your leadership philosophy and kind of how you've come to be the successful leader that you are, who are one or two people in your life or career that have, have had that leadership impact and how. Hmm. I had the privilege of serving on a board, um, a listed company in Nigeria before I moved here to the States and I was the youngest on the board and I was the only female. But the chair of the board was um, a huge champion. He always leaned in and noticed and, uh, you know, really understood that in certain situations, I kind of struggled to find my voice and struggled to see what I had to add, because surely these people that have had 30 years of career experience had, you know, better insight and all the wisdom. And I, I would just nod and he would always encourage and say, Nikkei, what's your perspective? Because we're, we're keen to understand your perspective as a young female. Um, that really helped me in honing and honing my voice 
understanding my perspective is important, understanding the importance of collaboration, of diversity of thought. We don't want uniformity, we want unity, and there's a distinction. So that's really been um, super helpful in my comp- confidence mm. um, as a leader and learning and knowing that I don't have to lead like the next person needs. I lead differently and that's fine. Wow. That's great. I, I just, I love those stories and they're all different ones. What an impact for, mm. uh, you know, your description, by the way, is sounds very familiar of, you know, being the youngest, being the only female on a board. I hear that a lot. In fact, I mm. hear CEOs, a lot of the CEOs I coach are, are female and some of them a younger female and that they struggle with a board of, you know, old white guys, you know, 10 old white guys around the table that may or may not take them seriously or, or respect them or give them the kind, the same sort of um, deference that they would another leader. And it can be a challenge. And here you are with a leader who saw that helped you, helped you navigate that and, and helped you succeed in that role. That's great. Um, my my last uh, question for you to that you have to think hard about anyway, and maybe you don't. What is your one, your number one piece of advice for all leaders? Like if if, if you're thinking about leadership and your leadership tenet to be an effective leader, what's the what's the Nikkei Anani, you know, twenty second soundbite of this is the most important thing to think about if you're a leader? Empathy. Mm. You need to develop empathy understand the lens through which folks see things and try to communicate to them through that lens. That's it. <laughs> that's about as, uh, that's about as clear as you can make it. Nika, this is a just outstanding. I'm so grateful for you sharing, being so generous with your wisdom and your experience and your knowledge and expertise in this area. I know it's, I know that our listeners are, are getting good. I think this is one where people are probably going to go back Get a notepad, listen to it again, and take some notes because this was a good this is a good webinar for a lot of people. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much, Patrick. So it, the best place to go if they want to learn more about you or uh, get your help in succession planning is NikkeiAnani.com, right? Indeed. So yes. for those of you that are wondering how to spell Nikkei, it's like Nike. Like just do it. Yeah. So it's N I K E A N A N I nikeanani.com and learn more again look for her book in the second quarter of this year lifetime to legacy a new vision for multi-generational family businesses nike when that comes out remind me shoot me an email we'll drop it I on will. the link and, and remind people and let them know about it and and, and i want to get is it is are you uh, pre-ordering are you allowing yes pre-order i will for this? be i will be i'll well, share the link with you please, yeah. please do that and um have an awesome uh, rest of your day and week and, and month. And thank you for the work that you do. What what a critical, unique thing that you're bringing to the world. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks. We'll see you here next time. Lead on. <laughs>